Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Story Houston uh, COVID-19 Online Worship Edition. <laughs> we are now three-plus months into this online-only worship life, and we're making the most of it here at the Story. And if it's your first time joining us, I want to extend a special welcome to you. My name is Eric Huffman. I'm the lead pastor here at the Story Houston. And for the past several weeks, five weeks, we've been talking about the love of God, specifically what we're calling the romance of God with this sermon series called Lover. And I've tried to make it memorable, so every word we've discussed so far to describe God's love has started with the letter P. So we talked about how God's love always pursues us, and when we love someone, we should be in pursuit of them. We talked about how God proposes to us a well-defined relationship. Because he loves us, he proposes a well-defined relationship. And then we talked about how God always passionately and publicly declares his love for us. And so it's not a private relationship where only the two people in love know it. The whole world knows how much God loves us. He shows us and proclaims it um, publicly. And then uh, last week, we learned how God pardons us. And pardoning or forgiveness is always a part of a meaningful, lasting, loving relationship. And today we're going to wrap up this series by talking about the perseverance of God's love, how God's love always perseveres for better or for worse. And throughout the Bible, what we see is that the, the most common analogy used in Scripture to describe or illustrate God's love for us is marriage. So the Bible begins in Genesis with the marriage of Adam and Eve. The Bible ends in the book of Revelation with the marriage of Christ and his bride, the church. And throughout the Bible, we see examples of um, marriage being lifted up as sort of a, uh, a way that we understand and see the love of God working itself out in real everyday life. And so as we close this series today, we're going to focus uh, on helping our married couples in our congregation uh, to grow stronger in their relationships by learning more about God's love and how to apply it in our, uh, in our marriages. Um, and if you're not married uh, and you're about to click away from this <laughs> sermon because you just can't to take another sermon on marriage, I get it. I know the church has often been slanted toward uh, helping married people and ignoring the needs of single people, but I encourage you to hang in there with us. Because I promise you, there's something here for you as well. Uh, God might be preparing you for a future marriage. He might be healing you from a past one. Or he might be equipping you to bless the married people around you, your married friends. And so for our final week, I wanted to mix things up a little bit. Instead of just preaching a regular sermon and, uh, and you know, making you sit through 30 minutes of just me, I wanted to mix things up. And, in, and I invited Houston's premier leading relationship counselor, Dr. Viviana Coles. Uh, Dr. Coles is here with us, uh, and she is a marriage expert on the hit Lifetime show, Married at First Sight, of which I'm a big fan, and I will talk more about that in a minute. Uh, it's now in its 10th season, and I really don't know of anyone uh, better in Houston to talk to us about the importance of persevering in loving marriage. And so we're very fortunate to have her with us this morning. Dr. Coles, welcome to the story. Thank you so much for having me, uh, Pastor Eric. Well, thank you for being here. I am a big fan of the show. I'm a big fan of yours, and it's a big deal for us to, to have you here. I'll say, uh, I haven't watched every season of the show. There's been... There's no need. Just watch the ones I'm on. Yeah, no 9 problem. and 10, right? <laughs> 9 and 10. Yeah, I, uh, I watched season 9 in one sitting 
Like my wife and I, it was the beginning of COVID-19. We were all sitting at home looking for something on Netflix to watch. And we found this show, Married at First Sight. And I thought, what a strange concept. You know what? Strange, radical, yes, but not uncommon. Just not in our culture. (laughs) Right? That's true. (laughs) Tell us what the show's about. So Married at First Sight is this radical experiment. It is an eight-week experiment for couples that we match and then they meet and marry at the altar. So it is a social experiment, but we're always hoping for a favorable outcome for our couples and hope hopefully they'll find love with each other. Yeah. Doesn't always happen, but um, we're certainly hoping that it does. Yeah. I think at first uh, my, my gut reaction as a pastor or a Christian or whatever was kind of I don't want to watch a show that might cheapen the idea of love or marriage, right? Mm-hmm. But the more we watch this show, the the more we realized that the success rate that you guys have uh, isn't much different. In fact, it's probably better than the success rate people are having on the dating scene. Absolutely. I'm glad that you brought that up. Uh, we always try for 100% yeah, happiness. Um, it's not enough that they stay married. We want them to have viable marriages, long-term viable right. marriages. So there's a lot of pressure on us. And yeah. we do put a lot of pressure on them too, though. And that's why we always say this is a legally binding marriage because we are looking for commitment. Yeah. Commitment is so around. huge mm-hmm. when it comes to being in a healthy relationship and being in a and persevering in a relationship, especially a marriage. We want them to understand if you're not committed to it and if you're not committed to a partnership and if you're not committed to marriage, you're already at a deficit. Right. You're already way behind. So true. So we're really having to put it in their heads. This is for real. This yeah. is a commitment. But the truth is in the end, once these people meet and they're together, you know, it's you, the it's you, your partner, and the relationship. And the relationship yeah. is its own entity that we cannot foresee. Yeah. We hope and we try to put things as as you know cleanly together, but it's never clean. It's always messy. Yep. That's so marriage. the drama is real. That's the other thing. Um, <laughs> the drama that happens between these two people yeah. is always real. Yeah. Um there marriage is dramatic. It already right. is inherently dramatic. Meeting somebody else for the first time, going on a honeymoon. Moving in together, meeting oh, their families, living together. All of that is inherently Huge. dramatic. So Huge. fortunately, we don't have to add any to that. Uh, well, marriage is dramatic, but dating can truly be traumatic with you're a right. T, right? Yeah. And so that's the, skep- that's the step you're skipping in this show. And the reason the show really resonated with my wife and I, both of us being pastors, is we see the trauma of the dating world on people. Mm-hmm. And we would love to find a way for them to not have to endure the online dating scene, especially. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Tears are shed at times listening to their past and their dating past and the, the ideas that they have for what they want in the future and how hesitant they are and how weary they are of dating. Yet in our culture, you're supposed to date somebody. You're yeah. supposed to date until right. you get to a place where you both agree that you're ready. And then those of us who have who have been married and are married, you're never really ready. Yeah. You're constantly growing together. Yeah. So the idea that it's just gonna like happen and you're gonna be ready to jump through these hoops, eh, no. And so it makes sense uh, why people come to the show. Yeah. I'm always shocked at how many people are willing to do this. I mean, we must be doing something right for them to trust us so much. Yeah. Um, or Tinder is just that bad. Or Tinder is just that <laughs> bad, exactly. And and it's expensive to date. Yeah. And lots of these people have been in, you know, monogamous relationships for years, and then 
they still get cheated on or they still get betrayed in some way, shape, or form, or just right. left, just flat out left. So they've invested five plus, 10 plus years, and then it's just over. So yeah, I, right. I'm, I'm always shocked at how many, but I'm not shocked why. Yeah. It's really interesting, too, how you don't see the person you're marrying until the wedding day. And I think what's interesting to me is I see people make, basing their decisions on dating um, on the physical or material things. Mm -hmm. And they weed out a lot of really great potential candidates Absolutely. Um, by, by having that as the lead metric, right? Mm -hmm. Or the lead determining factor. And you, you guys take that out of the equation altogether. Like, I always <laughs> tell our 32-year-old like single women that are starting to get desperate, like, date the bald guy with the belly. Yeah. You know, I like, mean, it's probably maybe only going to get healthier, if, if anything, hopefully not yeah, worse. Yeah, those guys <laughs> age well, usually. You know what I mean? And there's hair plugs and diets. Well, and it's funny because I love that you say that. So many people are sticking with this whole first glance physical attraction, but that changes. Oh, yeah. That changes from year to year, and it could change due to health reasons, accidents, God forbid, but there's so many reasons, or, or just saying, I have different priorities. Yeah, you know, and I'm um, convinced that when somebody is loved really well, they get more attractive. I agree with you. You know what I mean? And it's happened on the show. Our very, I say our, I was not a part of this, but season one, Jamie and Doug, um, she was literally in a corner crying because she did not find him physically attractive. It was so sad at the wedding. Like I mean, the it, wedding day. I mean, it was, it's, wow. it's bad. It's, they're notorious now. But they're still together. They're on, they've had their second child. She said that they grew into love, which wow. we truly believe can happen. And you're right. I think attraction can grow if you really like someone. And it can also fade yeah. if you really don't. Totally. It doesn't matter who you are. See? Yeah. Single people, I told you. You should stick around. Some good <laughs> advice here from Dr. Coles. Now, you're not only on the TV show. You have a very successful local practice. You want to tell us a little bit about what yeah, you do locally? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. I see the, the TV show as like a side project. Right. Uh, but what I mainly do is work with couples and individuals who are experiencing physical and emotional intimacy at my private practice, Houston Relationship Therapy. We do premarital counseling. I created a program. Um, I have online programs, and my website is drviviana.com. But at Houston Relationship Therapy, all we do is work with relationship issues, whether it's colleagues, uh, in-laws, families, but it's usually couples who are really just struggling with anything having to do with love and intimacy. What do you see across the board as a common denominator with, uh, let's just start with healthy couples, with the good stuff, right? What do you see healthy couples doing across the board um, as you analyze their relationship? So it isn't something that you haven't heard before, but healthy communication, open communication, consistent, persistent communication. That's mm. what I've noticed. Communicating the little things is what I've noticed healthy couples tend to do. And then couples who aren't doing so well, they think that they are um, avoiding. They think that they're avoiding arguments and fights by not bringing stuff up. They think they're picking their battles. A mm. lot of people think, I'm not going to talk about that. You're just putting it off. I see that with so many couples. They think, I'm, I'll, when the kids are this age, then we'll talk about this. When you know he gets through this project at work, we'll right. get through this. Um, when the kids start, when I finish breastfeeding, we'll, work, we'll talk about this. No, you need to be talking about your plan to talk yeah. about it. Yeah. Talk about everything. Get it all out. I think you're even giving some of us too much credit. I think some of us don't even think that far ahead. I don't even think we're thinking, 
probably speaking more for men now, like when we're to that point, then we'll talk about it. I think a lot of men just think, I don't want to talk about it. You know, I, I'd, I'd rather sweep it under the rug yeah. and just internalize it, pack it away, store it away somewhere deep and just leave it there. And that well, never it, works, does it? No, it doesn't, <laughs> because these men also want emotional intimacy. Yeah. In order to have the physical intimacy, they realize, oh my gosh, if I wanted to just have the physical, I would have this casual partner or even, you know, do things that are illegal. But they really do want a, a connection. Yeah. And if they don't nurture that connection from day one, it's not going to automatically just happen you know, on year 10, year yeah. 20. So a lot of men think, I don't need to focus on this because it'll just work itself out. Or they think, if I talk about it too much, then we're just going to fight about it. And I don't want to fight exactly. about it. I have a job to do. I want to be happy. You know, we have I plans never this win weekend. The fights. Yes. <laughs> yes. And whereas if they were actually to bring it up and show that they care, yeah. then their partner might have something to say that it maybe surprises them. Yeah. And even if you fight, there's always the making up, Absolutely. which is the best part. And if you don't know how to fight, there's lots of information online that you can obviously speak to a professional, talk to a friend. But always discuss and, and hash out these disagreements because they do just pile up. Oh, yeah. They do. I always talk about resentment being one of the biggest killers Absolutely. of marriages. Yeah. And I think that's what that is, right? When you mm -hmm. store away the little things one at a time, you're just building up a resentment mm -hmm. reservoir. Absolutely. I haven't heard the resentment reservoir. I, might I just use that made again. it up. I might use that. I'd like to trademark it if I could. Go trademark it because if not, I will. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just no, kidding. It's yours. <laughs> but it's true that resentment... It's unfortunately, it's not anything that people do intentionally, right? So fortunately, it's not intentional, but unfortunately, it is. It mm. just is. And it's something that happens to a lot of couples, especially if you're together for a long time. Um, but if you don't handle that, it is going to be the end of you. Oh, I, yeah. I feel like it's a cancer for sure. It is like an emotional, relational cancer yeah. that grows inside of you and uh, until you're symptomatic, you know, until you start to yeah. show the symptoms of irritability and just, you really find yourself, I see couples where suddenly they're, they're no longer feeling love for their partner. They're feeling more like hate or just bitterness. Animosity, yeah, competition, they're tallying all of the negatives, um, rarely can even see the positives at right. this point because all they can see is Oh, sure, you know, you, you started taking care of yourself, but why now? Oh, sure, you started talking to me nicely, but why now? You can't I mean, even totally get in their corner. You can't. Yeah. You can't because, because you feel the resentment is telling you, don't trust, don't trust. Yeah. Don't, don't go there. Don't allow them to uh, make you smile and to feel good because you don't trust them. And mm. you, can't, you can't trust that. I think one of my emotional issues with counseling couples is I, I find myself just rooting for them. You know, I just want to oh, yeah. get like behind them. I want it to work. And mm -hmm. there are some couples that just, it's not going to work. And mm -hmm. I think that's hard for a pastor to come to terms with sometimes because we don't like to, to throw out the divorce word and stuff like that. Some couples where there's specific issues with abuse or uh, repeated um, acts of uh, infidelity, mm -hmm. whether it's sexual or financial or whatever, um, and with, with no repentance or remorse whatsoever, mm -hmm. you know, it's, mm -hmm. it happens. And so some of these couples aren't meant to be, and that's hard. Um, but when you, 
I guess when you see a couple in, like right on the brink, like they're teetering mm -hmm. on the brink of uh, making it and not making it, what little glimmers do you see that uh, give you some hope that this might be one of those couples that can persevere? Respect. If they can respect each other, even through all the resentment, even mm. through the infidelity, if they truly can see the humanity in the other person, and if they're able to kind of harken back to when they met and the, the personality traits, the, um, the qualities that they really did end up falling in love with, that's always very hopeful. Um, if, they, if they have a plan for what they would want their new marriage to look like, that's always a glimmer of hope for sure. Yeah. So if you see a sign of mutual respect, if you see people willing to, to plan and cast a vision for mm -hmm. the, the near-term future uh, and uh, plot out some steps. Yeah. Even uh, if they're not perfect in their actions. Even right. if behaviorally they're like, oh, I totally messed up. I said this or I kind of went back to my old ways. And if they're even willing to talk through it, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. We can't expect perfection. And a lot of times people will come into counseling expecting to have this huge sense of relief and it's like an upward trajectory. It's like, no, you're going to have some setbacks. Right. Expect that. Sure. No, even earlier when you were talking about emotional intimacy and I guess physical or sexual intimacy and, and how men really, really do want emotional intimacy, even if we don't know it. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us get into marriage thinking of those two things in terms of like men want this and women want this. It's almost like a transactional relationship. Right. And if you give me this, I'll give you this. And Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And what I think really happy married couples figure out is men and women, all of us need both, physical and and. And it emotional. could be a little of both. It could be a lot of both. But it's really more like this than this. It right? really is. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. You know, in the Bible, uh, there's different words in Greek uh, for love. And mm -hmm. I'm, this yes. is sort of a, a trope at this point. But. Um, there's four words in Greek, and one mm -hmm. of them is eros, and uh, mm -hmm. and then there's two others, and then there's um, and then there's agape, which is the okay. perfect love of yeah. God, and it's almost like we have eros or the the physical sexual mm -hmm. love over here, and agape over here, and then there's philia, and then there's storgia over there somewhere, but and we keep them separate, yeah. and but then Jesus says, uh, love each other as I have loved you, or, or the way I have loved you. And his love is agape love, it's perfect love. Mm -hmm. and, and so if we are to love each other in marriage, as Jesus has loved us, then even our eros must be infused with agape. So there is, mm. there's not a compartmentalization of it. It's really a, a yeah. holistic. Well, I think that it's important for us to remember that we are carnal beings, yeah. and we have bodies, and we have all the different structures and systems and energies in place that feed both. So if you're going to deny half of your being, expect to feel half the love and half of the success wow. and pleasure. So I wanna to speak to our couples that are listening in right now that I know um, many of them are struggling in, in different ways and, and wondering if there's a future here. Mm -hmm. what's, your, what's your basic general advice to couples that are looking for, for hope? Yeah, I think that they need to look first at what they want their relationship to look like going forward. Sometimes you can get really stuck in the ickiness of the present or the past, oh. and it can make you feel like that's what dictates your future. But we've all been in places, I never knew I'd be sitting here with you. Right. Like that Crazy. happened kind of in a flash, right? And, and it's all through networking. I saw you and on this Netflix, and, <laughs> and here we are. I didn't, I didn't know I was going to be on Netflix. I mean, <laughs> so... Life can change, and it doesn't have to necessarily throw you for a loop. 
and then backwards. So going to counseling doesn't necessarily mean, oh my gosh, everything that we've ever done is bad. And now we're going to be completely different people and different. it's going to be a different marriage going forward. It's fairly easy to, to just regroup, right? Yeah. It's, it's about regrouping. Well, and right. that tends to help. We've got, you know, when I see couples, there's almost always like the bad actor and the victim. And what mm -hmm. I try to walk people through is, a, a, I guess, a more layered approach where we see like there's been good and bad on both sides with both mm -hmm. parties and neither one is entirely bad and the other one's not entirely right. victimized, yeah. right? And so I think that helps get us around some of the, some of the cultural sayings like, well, once a cheater, always a cheater, you know, and, and yeah. things like that. Do you, do you find yourself having to work with couples through that kind of thing where one person feels like they've been wronged and the other person needs to do all the changing? Um, yes, because if you're coming in with a big ticket item, like infidelity, <laughs> right. whether it's emotional, physical, financial, spiritual, whatever it is, yeah. um, you have to create a sense of safety and security in order to build on. So a lot of couples will say, oh yeah, that happened like 20 years ago, but we just kind of worked through it. Oh, how'd you work through it? Well, we just kind of agreed never to talk about it again. <laughs> yeah, that's not okay. working through. Uh, yeah, how did, how did that work out for you? Uh, so we do have to address the gaping wound. Yeah. But then you say, okay, so now that you've got that under control, managed in a manageable way, now we can start to talk about these other things like healthier communication, like how to plan date nights, like how to deal with in-laws, um, all of how to co-parent, all of these things that are on the daily what we deal yeah. with, uh, and that's the work of a marriage. So finally, I, I just wondered if you could talk to us about couples that you've seen. You don't, obviously, you can't get specific, but I guess I want our couples to know how bad it can get and how good it can still yeah. you know, return to and, and what hope there is, even when all hope seems lost. Mm -hmm. I mean, how bad has it gotten for the couples you've worked with where you've seen a bounce back? Oh my goodness, I'm, I'm so fortunate to have been able to see all sorts of ranges of um, unhealth and, and health. But I think that the worst that I see is the couples who decide that they are going to make the other person hurt in hopes of teaching them a lesson so that they won't hurt them back. Mm. And you're just completely degrading and, and um, destructing and, and eroding the marriage. Yeah. And they're wondering like, why isn't this working? They don't like it, obviously, why? Then are they doing it back to me? I'm like, because you are chipping away at this foundation. Yeah. So that's probably the worst of it is when you get people who are very tit for tat. And that can happen on a surface level, but most of the time when I'm seeing them, it's a very like deep, critical. Right, and when you, you know, see these couples, but. When you see them figure it out, what's the switch that flips? They typically decide that for themselves, they're not going to put, they're not going to put the individual first. Okay. Now that doesn't mean that you have to bend over backwards just to be with someone, but they start to look at things in terms of, am I picking on this person because of this one thing that they're doing right now and I'm going to make it into this molehill? Or am I going to say, you know what? This is an exception to the rule. Maybe they're just having a bad day. When they show each other grace is when I've noticed that couples can really make the turn. Wow. When they show each other that grace. grace. And that's something in, in this coronavirus time, 
this quarantine time, I'm constantly telling people, give each other some grace. We've never been through this before. Hopefully won't go through it again. Yeah. Um, we Nobody knows how to successfully and perfectly navigate all this. This is a time to show each other grace. That's so sure. good. I love that you use the word grace there. That's a word we throw around a lot around here. <laughs> it means and a lot. Yeah, it really yeah. does. But it is inherently selfless. And you have to decide, I'll choose to not be super happy or fulfilled in the moment. Give myself away right now for the sake mm -hmm. of investing in the future mm -hmm. and giving my love away to someone who may not deserve it right now. Mm -hmm. Like that really is the building block for uh, a marriage yeah. that perseveres. And, and I'm always using, you know, metaphors of teamwork and, you know, sometimes you're going to be the coach, sometimes you're going to be, you know, the athlete. And I just think it's important for us to remember that we all have something to offer and it's not just going to be a one-way street. Yeah. Like you're always going to be learning something or teaching somebody something. Right. And that's what you signed up for when you decided to get into a relationship and much more so a marriage. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's hope even for couples that are struggling a lot. And um, Dr. Viviana Coles, we're so grateful and so blessed by your words today and your wisdom. Thank, Thank you. you for all the good work that you're doing in Houston and on Netflix and beyond. <laughs> and uh, we'd love to have you back someday. Thank you. I'd love that. Uh, thanks for being with us. Thanks. You know, the, the Bible talks a lot about uh, perseverance as uh, a trait of a disciple of Jesus Christ. And uh, perseverance plays a role in all of our human relationships, but especially in marriage. The Bible speaks of perseverance using a few different words. And so you'll see words like perseverance, but also endurance. Um, you'll see words like steadfastness, uh, like take James 1.12, for example. It says, blessed is the one who remains steadfast uh, or the one who perseveres under trial in difficult times, you know, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So whatever you call it, perseverance, steadfastness, endurance, um, God promises that when you endure, when you persevere with your loving relationships, there is some kind of a reward on the other side of that storm. I think that's something that's really hard to remember sometimes because the storms can seem so all-encompassing. It's the storms that weaken us. The storms zap us of our resources and, and cause us to, to lose our bearings and forget the long game we're playing. Um, I know for me, sometimes in my marriage, uh, as crazy as it sounds, I'll get, I'll get uh, weakened by the storms of life. I'll get tired. I'll get frustrated. And you know, once in a while, I'll have these little trains of thought that leave the station at times of great weakness. And I'll think in my moment of weak frustration, I'll think, you know, if, <laughs> if I was on my own, I could do what I wanted and, and go where I want and spend my money how I want, and, and I think for just the fraction of a second, uh, maybe that would make me happy. And in reality, like if, if I was crazy enough to ever do that uh, and follow through on those trains of thought, I might experience a brief, ever so brief happiness. But sometimes those brief moments of happiness just lead us into deeper despair and deeper longing um, and, and deeper loneliness. And I know that when the Bible calls us to perseverance, what the Bible's calling us to is uh, basically a rejection of momentary, temporary happiness for the sake of investing in a longer term 
uh, commitment and a, and a longer-term reward that is waiting for us on the other side of this. And I, I think that is important to remember whenever those impulses arrive in us and those trains of thought begin to leave the station. Now, anyone who knows Giovanna, my wife, <laughs> knows that I hit the jackpot and I would have to be insane to ever <laughs> follow those trains of thought for, for very long. Now, on the other hand, you know, if if I'm strong in those moments, if I choose to, to say no to these momentary weaknesses or these impulses um, that come over me and I deny myself this instant gratification, I know there's something so much better on the other side of that storm. And I mean this especially in terms of our relationships, especially in terms of our marriages. The kind of, of deep emotional intimacy that awaits us on the other side of a storm if we both choose in our marriages, if two people choose to say no to some temporary empty happiness, to some indulgence, for the sake of saying yes to that greater something on the other side of the storm, that's the closest thing to heaven we can experience in this life for, for many of us. The, the reward of what comes with a clear conscience, the, the kind of intimacy that grows out of integrity, it's a beautiful thing and it's a lasting thing. Um, there is this satisfaction there when you and your spouse are both in this together. And I think that's the goal. You know, and I think thinking about this in terms of a long-term goal in your marriage is really important because as the storms of life come, as the for better or worse seems more worse than better, and, and I, I get that, it happens to us all. When you have this vision of your future that you know you've both bought into, it makes it easier to say no to those momentary temptations. So I know that when I look ahead to my life, however many years that God gives me on this earth, uh, when I get to the end of my time on this earth, I know that at the top of my list of things to do is I want to be able to say that I was true and faithful to my wife as much as possible. You know, I was true and faithful to her and that we stuck it out. We stayed married. That's very important to me. And keeping that in mind helps me to weather the storms that come and go in everyday life. And I know Giovanna would say the same thing. And um, that to me kind of speaks to the, the message of Romans 5, 3 to 5 that I wanted to share with you all today. Um, I think this speaks directly to our um, message of perseverance in marriage. Romans 5, 3 to 5 says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Again, that's another way of saying perseverance. And endurance produces character in us. And character produces hope. Why? Because when we have a deeper character that's not just flying from one indulgence to the next, not just giving in from one temptation to the next, but a character with deep roots, we know that we have something greater to hope for. We know the promise of God's reward to come after we've persevered is true and will come to pass. So there's something much better waiting for us. That's why character produces hope. And then Paul writes, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. So he connects perseverance, character, and hope to the love of God. And there we are, the agape of God that has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And so whenever we talk about loving romantic relationships as believers following Jesus, we're talking about discipleship. Dating single people, dating is 
a, a discipleship vehicle for you. You're being discipled through that process. You're discipling others through the process of dating. I know that's not what you've heard, <laughs> but that is the case for people following Jesus. Marriage is most definitely a way that we learn to follow Jesus um, more fully, more um, completely. The way that we learn to love each other, the way God first loved us. And that's really what marriage is for Christians. It's a celebration of God's love. And uh, when we look at his love, what we see is perseverance. How many times have we messed up to the extent that God could have and should have walked away from us? But he said no to a momentary satisfaction of giving us what we deserve so that he could say yes to a lasting covenant with us. And when we understand how deeply he's loved us, even without reciprocation, we finally begin to see what a difference that kind of love can make in our own hearts and in our own marriages. When we apply that same principle to our marriages, we choose not to let go when the world says we should. We choose to hold on to hope when all hope seems lost. God's love persevered on our behalf, and in our marriages, we take up the mantle. We see an opportunity to persevere on behalf of our spouses, on behalf of one another. And that's the gift, the real abiding gift of Christian marriage is that it is the whole of the gospel writ small in one tiny relationship, in one tiny home, in your hearts. It is the whole of the gospel unfolding between two imperfect people who are learning to love one another more perfectly each day. So if you're married, maybe you're wondering about the future of your covenant. Maybe you're wondering if this marriage is gonna make it, I pray that the Holy Spirit would pour the perfect agape love of God into your hearts and teach you that this season of struggle, the season of suffering, can and will give way to a season of perseverance that leads to character, that leads back to hope. I'm praying for your marriages, and I hope that if possible, you choose to hold on today. Can we pray together? God, uh, thank you for the gift of marriage. Those of us that are, are married, it's truly uh, a wonderful gift and it's, uh, it is a wonderful way to learn how to love each other the way you first loved us. Those of us that are single or unmarried are um, uh, often on the outside looking in in churches and Lord, we know that you actually call us to discipleship first and marriage second or third or even further down the line. <laughs> And I pray that you would teach us all, whether uh, or not we're married, what it means to persevere in love, to love the people in our inner circles the, the way you first loved us, to love even when our beloved is not deserving, to love without giving up or letting go too quickly, because that's the way you loved us. That's the way you loved me, Father, and I never want to leave you now. That's truly the way to change the world. We thank you for your healing, forgiving, all-encompassing, all-loving, agape love for us. And we pray in the name of Jesus who came to show us that love on the cross. Amen.